There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 Ranch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant Bill Cannon. I did 27 years with the NYPD. Folks, we've been covering this um, this active shooter case from uh, from Buffalo, New York. And I, I, I had said when I covered it the other day, I have a special place and a warm spot in my heart. I went to um, college at Buffalo State College. So I always knew Buffalo people to be, well, they tabbed them as the good neighbor people, and that's not for uh, no good reason. They are that. In fact, you know, with the harsh weather in Buffalo, there's a, a certain amount of cooperation that's needed among their neighbors, and they are uh, very much that. You know, folks, there's no doubt that this this was a, a planned uh, bias attack, a hatred attack, a hatred against blacks by an 18-year-old male who was just filled with racial animus, ra- racial hatred, and Eddie had planned this uh, for months and actually drove over 200 miles, over 300, uh, excuse me, over um, over 200 miles over three hours to get to this specific area in Buffalo that was populated by m- mostly black people. Just a heinous, heinous, unbelievably horrible attack. You know, in this country, we've seen these hate attacks before i've mentioned um we talk about active shooters and what an active shooter is this was more than an active shooter it was uh some that someone that went to a supermarket in a black neighborhood specifically to shoot black people and as a result he killed 10 black people and wounded three more three two white people and another black person and just the the, the there's uh I, i'd like you know focus on the on the victims, and specifically, when I see out of these ten people that lost their lives that day, you know, people going about their lives, uh, shopping for their family, going to a supermarket, uh, maybe making a special cake that one woman was going there to get pick up strawberries. But this this Buffalo retired Buffalo police officer Aaron Salter, I mean, what a hero! A thirty year veteran of the Buffalo Police Department that retired. And he's working security at this supermarket. And he encountered the gunman and fired numerous shots and probably hit their mark. However, the gunman was wearing heavy-duty body armor that undoubtedly saved his life and saved his life but cost the lives of other people. So I just want to salute uh, Aaron Salter. Uh, he's a brother officer, whether he's from Buffalo or Poughkeepsie or anywhere in this country. He's definitely a, a brother officer. You know, and, and folks, we think about this heinous, heinous, horrendous, hate-filled incident. And there's no way to describe uh, the horror that was brought into this community. This community, of course, didn't not uh, didn't ask for this. You know, of course, didn't ask for this guy to drive three hours, 200 miles to bring this hate-filled uh, manifesto upon their neighborhood. And it's just, 
uh, you know, it's it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain. We've seen terrorism in New York City. You know, we we've seen the nine eleven attacks. We've seen other acts of terrorism. The the individual that drove a uh, a van and I believe killed like thirteen people uh, downtown near Battery Park. We've seen hate filled attacks like that, but you can never uh, explain it. There is no explaining it. I guess that's why you have to have faith in God and. Um, faith that there is a higher power that someone can especially the family members and the victims and the the family the victims friends it's just it's something that you just cannot explain you know and folks and then we you know we see uh politicians they just they they have to get mileage out of this stuff you know they just can't they can't help themselves become selfish with something like this this should be all about the bravery of this man, the folks that lost their lives and their family members. That's what this should all be about. Let's have the politicians just shut their mouths for a few days and stop trying to get mileage for their own selfish reasons. You know, there it is, Buffalo, New York. You see the radio car on the screen. And that says it all to us in law enforcement because unwavering, they responded with great bravery. Uh, They responded and they undoubtedly saved many, many lives by responding the way they did. And, uh, you know, that's why I would rather focus my, uh, you know, focus my, this report on is these great people. And again, you cannot minimize this, this, that this was a horrendous attack, not just against the people of Buffalo, but the people of this country, all civilized people of this world, that this type of hatred exists and this type of hatred cannot be allowed to proliferate and you know whether you want to blame it on social media or just just hate in general that you know this you know this type of hatred isn't something that's brand new it's been around for a long time you know and we got to find a way as people and find a way as citizens of this country to stop this because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever And, you know, we need to work together to find a solution to this. And it has to stop being political, which for some reason, it always turns out to be some type of politics involved in this. It's always done around election time. They want to talk about gun control instead of the person that's pulling the trigger. You know, uh, we've seen that a lot in in this state in, in New York City is that they want to blame the gun and not the, the person that pulls the trigger. I think you got to blame the person that pulls the trigger. You know, that's what's making the gun operate. And they people want to just get get off that topic. I want to play a little bit of ABC News. We have retired NYPD chief of detectives, Robert Boyce, and uh, they give some pretty good insight on this case. And I'm going to put this on the screen and share it with you guys. Play a little bit of this here. His contributors, Elizabeth Newman, a former Homeland Security official with the Trump administration and former NYPD chief of detectives, Robert Boyce, uh, for more on this. Robert, what options do police departments have when they encounter someone who appears to be planning violence? And how do you differentiate between that and someone who's just angry but doesn't really intend to harm anyone? Well, I think, uh, good morning, Diane. So I think right now we uh, we missed something here. We have something called a red flag law in New York State. It started in 2019. Um, and so you can do uh, what we call an ERBO, which is um, which is extreme risk protection order. 
anybody in um, in his life could have applied for this and made sure he never got a gun or guns that he had would be removed. So someone uh, uh, missed the boat here, his parents, of course, uh, number one. But when he was taken into custody uh, over that threat in high school, uh, that should have been examined then. So uh, th this is something we have. We have existing laws. We have to enforce them. And I think we could have possibly prevented this, and that would have been uh, key here. Do you think more needs to be done to just make known that laws like that are on the books for that if civilians are the ones that are expected to bring that information forward? It's a great point, Diane. Yes, this uh, this is not known outside of law enforcement. These are orders, and you can download it online, bring it to a judge. It's not hard to do, but it's necessary to do. It takes a little work. And what Mr. Johnson said before about political will, right on on the money on that. There's, there's no question about it. So it's uh, we need the political will to get these things done. So there's some things missed here. We may have stopped stopped before this happened. This Bush, Bushmaster XM15. This is the same gun in, uh, that happened uh, the Beltway shooter. Um, in the, the incident in, in Connecticut where all those children were killed. This is the same gun. Uh, we could have stopped this. New York State law has a magazine law. You only allow 10 round clips. Uh, when you when you purchase the gun, however, he went online, which anybody can do, and get 30 uh, round clips, even more than that, which I believe he did. And he also altered the weapon um, prior to using it. So these things, uh, he well planned this out, this individual, and uh, I think we could have stopped this or possibly stopped this early on. And Elizabeth, investigators say that this suspect acted alone, but that he was involved in an online community that may have encouraged him to do this. How concerning is that? And what tools do authorities have to crack down on these kinds of forums if they're actually uh, contributing to violence in this way? You know, it, it, these types of attacks are often called lone wolf attacks, but that really misleads the public about what is going on. Uh, your previous guest, Mr. Johnson, um, articulated that this is just the latest in a lengthy list of attacks that have been perpetrated around the globe by people fueled by white supremacy and concerns about false conspiracy theories like replacement theory. He, uh, it's from from what we have read of the documents that he posted online, got engaged in uh, some very, very extreme fringe violent groups. We're not talking about Facebook. We're not talking about mainstream social media platforms. We're talking about uh, darker, darker places on the web that do not use some of the rules that the mainstream social media companies use to um, monitor content. Uh, and he got radicalized during COVID. He was bored. And uh, I have to say, when I was at the Department of Homeland Security right at the beginning of COVID, we were very concerned that this would happen, that you would have more people uh, experiencing anxiety and frustration because of the disruption around COVID, the, the fear of a pandemic, uh, spending more time alone online. And we know what causes radicalization. And the COVID pandemic was like the perfect storm for the for individuals that might already be predisposed, vulnerable to radicalization to become radicalized. And we've seen that happen. We've seen increases in violence, not just terroristic violence, but all types of violence over the last two years. We've seen increases in people launch, uh, latching on to conspiracy theories and other violent extremists ideologies. So it, sadly, this was expected. Um, and and I unfortunately think we're going to see more of it in the coming weeks and months. All right, Elizabeth Newman, Robert Boyce, great to have you both. Thank you.
So, guys, you heard some of that stuff, and uh, specifically um, Chief, former Chief of Detectives Robert Boyce. You know, some of the laws are on the books. The laws are on the books to thwart some of these type of attacks. However, you have to use the laws. And, you know, he, he specifically spoke about sort of getting that high-level uh, firearms removal order. If you know someone is mentally deranged and and owns a lot of firearms, obviously it's going to take you to make to take that step to you know in essence report them and have their their guns taken away. But you may have saved a lot of people's lives through doing that. This this kid had no business owning this gun. That Bushmaster gun he described, uh, Chief of Detectives Boyce was the same uh, gun used in the Beltway sniper shootings. Uh, so you know how high-powered and how accurate those guns are. And, you know, that's one of the other things that we hear. You know, the laws are there. In New York State, you can't have a, a magazine that holds over 10 rounds. And I know that from being a retired police officer because when I was uh, active, I had a 15-round magazine with one in the chamber. Thus, you could have 16 rounds in your firearm. We, as retired police officers, were even um, we were expected to abide by that law also. I never un understood that. I thought that we should have been exempted from it, but we have to abide by that also. Just on the screen, those are the, I don't have the pictures. We have the names of all the Buffalo shooting victims that's the the victims that have um that lost their lives and just uh prayers for their their families and and friends and uh we'll keep them in our minds and, and prayers and again of course this hero um aaron aaron salter who i'll always think of his heroism when i think of this incident rather than the negative i'll think of the positive of uh what a great man he was and again this community is going to have to Heal. It's going to take a great deal of time uh, to heal. Apparently, this supermarket is, you know, like a, a neighborhood has like an oasis where people meet, where people shop. And this is one of those things. And you can see this is the shooter. I won't say his real name. Uh, he's wearing camouflage. He had body armor on. And when he did this, he actually live streamed it over a site on the internet called Twitch. I've seen some of the video and it's horrendous to watch. Just out, outrageously horrendous to watch it, how someone could do something like that to their fellow human beings. And he looks like a little, you know, a young little punk, 18-year-old uh, kid lost, you know, lost in with nothing to do these days, you know. Maybe he was locked down for too long. He's on the internet too much, I guess. And again, this is also be a symbol of heroism, the Buffalo um, Police RMP. For those in the police business, RMP means radio motor patrol. And uh, I, we use the lingo uh, like it's second nature. And uh, some of you folks may not understand what we're talking about, but that's when we hear that's an, that's an RMP there, RMP 459, Buffalo Police. And on the screen is that hero again. Um, it's just, it, it, this is just so unfathomable. Um, uh, to talk about this, it, it, it's a horrendous, horrendous incident fueled by racial hatred. And there's no other way to describe it. There's no way to play it down and say, oh, no, it was it was it was racially motivated. It was a it was a racial hate crime. And of course, the worst is 10 people lost their lives 
for doing nothing but going about their lives shopping and being of a particular race that this guy didn't like. This investigation is fast moving and what they're already learning about the gunman's past, the concern back around the time of his high school graduation and law enforcement and their interaction with him before. Here's our chief justice correspondent, Pierre Thomas, also here in Buffalo tonight. Tonight, law enforcement sources telling ABC News that less than a year ago, Peyton Gendron was taken into custody, accused of threatening behavior around the time of his high school graduation. Those sources say that when assigned to write a paper about his post-graduation plans, allegedly referenced committing murder-suicide. The school called the state police. The individual was brought in for a mental health evaluation. He was evaluated and then he was released. There was an investigation, but no charges were ever filed. Today, former classmates Nathan Twitchell and Cassandra Williams describing Gendron as quiet and shy. And he was just this quiet, smart kid that I wouldn't think could be able to do anything like what he did yesterday. But not really Still just blows my mind. But one thing about him did stick out. Once COVID hit, he wasn't ever really at school, other than once, um, right when we came back, he showed up in like a hazmat type suit. A full hazmat suit. What was your reaction to that? I mean, everyone was just staring at him. Still, Gendron graduated. His parents, both engineers from the state of New York, throwing him a party under a big tent on the lawn of their home. He enrolled at Broome Community College. But at the same time, if his online screed is to be believed, the alleged teenage gunman was planning his attack for years. His young mind consumed with racist, anti-Semitic, and anti-immigrant messages he found on the internet. This event was committed by a sick, demented, individual who has fueled a daily diet of hate. In the document, Gendron embraces the white supremacist theory known as the Great Replacement, the racist belief that white people in the U.S. will eventually be replaced by people of color. Gendron allegedly scoping out a target where he could find and kill black people, acquiring an arsenal. One gun a gift from his father, another purchased legally from a store in Pennsylvania. The owner of Vintage Firearms in Endicott, New York, not far from Gendron's home, says he legally sold the 18-year-old the Bushmaster semi-automatic rifle used in the attack just a few months ago. A source telling ABC News the killer wrote racist slurs on that gun, as well as the names of previous mass shooters. And Pierre Thomas also here in Buffalo tonight. And Pierre, I know police say the gun used in this attack was actually purchased legally. Then we heard New York Governor Kathy Hochul saying today that uh, it was not actually legal when he used it, that it had been modified. David, the killer used an attachment which allowed his assault rifle to accommodate a high capacity magazine. In some states, that attachment is legal. In New York, it is not. David. Pierre Thomas with us live here in Buffalo as well. Pierre, thank you. So, folks, uh, you hear that he, he did modify that gun so it was able to um, accommodate a high-capacity magazine. Gary Anthony Grizzola, uh, thank you. I mean, I, I actually have HR-218. I just took it in the last two or three months, and I wasn't aware that uh, I could carry the um, high-capacity magazine uh, based on HR-218. But thank you very much for uh, – maybe I should have listened more in class, you know. <laughs> But uh, thank you so much for um, filling me in with that. You know, it just gets to be, I think, where, where folks want to, they want to make this political. And, you know, this should really 
be about the victims and the, and the community that had to um, endure this horrendous, horrendous attack from outside that was fueled, just fueled with hatred, you know? And that's what this should be about, not about politicians going up there and saying, oh, in New York, we have that low-capacity magazine law. It couldn't happen here. It did happen in New York. They bought the magazine from another state. They modified the gun, all right? So, you know, I just, when you hear these politicians, they're just self, they're selfish people. They're trying to get mileage out of it for themselves. And that, that really makes me sick because it makes me think that they don't really care that much about the community. They really care more about their next election. You know, um, you know, when they talk about this being investigated and prosecuted as a hate crime, he killed 10 people. I mean, yeah, it is a hit, but is that going to add time on? They want to talk about these laws. Just prosecute the case. You know, and I, and I get emotional about this because, you know, in New York City, they have this damn bail reform law, and guys are getting arrested three, four, five times with a, with a firearm, and they're not going to jail. And then they want to put more laws. No, just, just enforce the laws that are already on the books, all right? Stop trying to bullshit people. By, by saying we need more laws. No, we have plenty of laws. Enforce them. You had the state attorney general there, Letitia James. Enforce the laws. Don't try to make new laws. That's a smokescreen. We have enough laws. And of course, this is a heinous, heinous, heat-filled bias attack. However, he killed 10 people. He should never, ever see the light of day on, on those grounds themselves. So more laws, you know, that's where politicians, they really get sick. They make you sick. They really do. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting on my soapbox now. and uh, But that's what they're all about. It's all about the selfishness of politicians. Uh, also possibly Dylan Roof in South Carolina. Um, tell me about what you think this community is going through today as they process what happened to them on Saturday. Well, I think the community as a whole feels, uh, they, they feel attacked because it was motivated by race. That's undisputed. He hated black people. He wanted to go after black Americans. And unfortunately, he was successful. The pain of that resonates with the entire country. And yet what we have to realize is this type of hate exists on both sides and the application of justice has to be applied equally and fairly. This gentleman, this person will be arrested. He's arrested, charged. He'll be charged in New York. They do not have the death penalty. If the federal government takes the action on this, it will be a hate crime with the possibility of the death penalty. But the hardest thing to do, Dana and Bill, is to take a prior threat, which this person had uh, uh, initiated without consequences, and then to conclude that a subsequent act of violence with consequences will take place. And that's the great mystery. No lead to indicate that this would happen. Um, well, you've got that, Leo, but, but you also have the reality that he was evaluated for a day and a half less than a year ago. And I, I, I don't know what kind of friends he had or what kind of family he had, but here, here was the question from a reporter to uh, the FBI agent from this weekend. This kid was brought in by state police and he was evaluated. You were making these comments online. Did he slip through the cracks or was he on radar? This individual was not on the radar of the FBI. 
and to my knowledge, he was not on the radar radar beyond um, the incident with the state police. Wow. I mean, wh where's that leave you? I'll tell you exactly where it be, uh, leaves me, Bill. Mental health evaluations are done all the time. In this particular case, it's important for the viewers to know, this matter was never taken to a court and a a judicial decision was determined whether or not this person was a viable threat and needed mental assistance. If that was done, he would have never been able to purchase a gun. But that judicial evaluation was not done. And for whatever reason, we don't know. But I will submit to you the following. I find it impossible for his immediate family, friends, not to know what was going on in this man's life day to day. I find that impossible. And I think there's a lot of people in mental health issues, what I've experienced is family members are in denial and they don't want to acknowledge that something's wrong with their son or with their daughter. And that's the problem, the immediate family and close friends. Theo, why would somebody like this who has written the manifesto, he's there, he gets taken into custody, why do people like him plead not guilty? I'll tell you right now, I, immediately, you heard that he said prior he was going to plead guilty. Remember, he's going to get counsel. He's going to get legal advice. And the, the beauty of this system, the American system, is he's entitled to a defense. So I'm sure he's surrounded by a set of attorneys. I'm sure the mental health issue, Dana, is going to be raised. And as to the charges that are going to be filed against him, uh, his attorneys are going to challenge whether or not the evidence meet those charges. Mm -hmm. So this is part of the, our legal system. Everyone is entitled to due process. Leo, one thing from the Washington Post, this is three and four guys. Uh, it's printed this morning. Hate is not at the root of most mass shootings. Here's one of the lines. If they fail to achieve what they've been socialized to believe is their destiny, reach an existential crisis point. When they no longer feel connected to the people and places around them, this becomes a suicidal crisis, except the thought of merely taking their own lives leaves them unfulfilled. As the sister of one perpetrator told us, her brother went from asking, what's wrong with me, to asking, what's wrong with them? That's internal, that's mental health. There's a lot in that right there, Leo. And that's a cry for help, Bill. That is a exact point what I'm referring to, what you said his sister said. My point is families know that there is a loved one inside their household that needs help. The hardest thing for family members to do is to turn their child, their daughter, their son into or request for mental health issues. That is very hard. And that's why these things happen. This was a total surprise to the city of Buffalo. It was a total surprise, I'm sure, to a lot of people. But the family, we need to know more about that, Bill. And not only in this case, but in other cases. Leo Terrell, this morning for us on this terrible uh, morning as we uh, think about all of those people in Buffalo who are grieving. Thank you so much. You know, folks, there's a big uh, question there. He had, I believe it was almost a year ago, or maybe a year, a little less than a year ago, in June, he had threatened to shoot up his school. And the school did the right thing, and they reported him. And he was uh, evaluated, I believe, for a day and a half. I don't. How did they just give him a free pass after that? And there was no, apparently when he bought this Bushmaster um, rifle, Legally, he passed the background check. How was that? Uh, how was that possible that he passed the background check after he had that 
in his folder about threatening to shoot up his school. That's one thing, you know, I want, you know, I'd like to know how, how is that, how is that possible? And there's been other cases like this where, and then they, they raised the issue of the parents. How did the parents not know what he was doing or not know his mental state of mind that he was this angry 18 year old kid filled with hatred? How did they not know those things? Uh, I find it it hard to understand. I really do. Um, Gary uh, Grizzola, the family is the first defense against acts like this. I agree that the family should have been more involved. If they were, this may have been avoided. Uh, uh, us as active or retired law enforcement always in our kids' business about everything. Gary, that's 100% uh, true. I, I, I could never see my kids. Uh, they're not kids anymore. They're men. But uh, hiding something like this, that I would, I would know something like this. I would intervene in something like this, and it's just, it's really ugly that these things happen. And look, it, it ha it's not just white on black. If you look at the Waukesha, um, Wisconsin thing, that guy ran over with using a vehicle, ran, I believe, killed six people on a Christmas parade. You know. Uh, not using a gun, using a vehicle as the weapon. So that kind of craziness and, and hatred, it, it's the recently the New York City um, subway shooter. He shot, he shot 10 people. He was filled with all kinds of uh, racial hatred also. So folks, you know, it does cut both ways, but it has to get the same amount of attention and, and to cover this because it is, it is a huge problem, and and law enforcement has to be, of course, has to be involved in this. Uh, I'm going to put the really um, seems like a real kind and uh, even keeled politician, and uh, the the Buffalo mayor. I'm going to put a little bit of uh, him on the screen. Let's see what he has to say. Buffalo, New York, Byron Brown. First of all, I have to say you are the longest serving mayor. In Buffalo, you've been mayor since 2006. Um, you were raised here. Clearly, you know this community. What do you think needs to be done to stop incidents like this? Well, this is sadly a uniquely American phenomenon, mass shootings. Uh, we have seen this all too often uh, in communities all across this country, urban, suburban, rural uh, it does not matter. In this particular case, the motive, the reason uh, was hate, was racism. Uh, someone that had a hateful heart uh, and head uh, wanted to kill as many black people as possible. Uh, but whatever the motive uh, might be, uh, we have seen many of these mass shootings across the country got to be sensible gun control. Uh, if we want to stop this type of thing from happening in America, uh, these shootings that don't occur in other countries across the world, uh, we need sensible gun control. Uh, governor Kathy Hochul, the governor of New York State, talked powerfully about uh, the internet and social media and how hate is spread, how uh, the indoctrination um, of hate thinking uh, and hate speech uh, is promoted uh, through social media. Uh, so yes, the internet companies, the social media uh, companies, 
need to be held accountable. They need to do something uh, different. Uh, we cannot allow hate speech uh, and um, hateful manifestos uh, to go out over the social media. It's not free speech. Uh, it's un-American. It's not the American way. Those are two things that have to be looked at uh, very quickly and very powerfully and persuasively to stop the kind of carnage uh, that we saw in my city, in my community this past Saturday. You know, I thought immediately uh, how young the shooter was, only 18 years old. There had been some warnings about him uh, threatening his high school uh, over the past uh, recent years. And then I thought of Dylan Roof and the shooting uh, at a church that was a predominantly black congregation and, and just similarities in the story, though two very different cases. When you think about this as a leader uh, in your community, are you sitting there and wondering and pondering why there are some young people who are buying in to the kind of rhetoric that we reportedly see in some of these uh, manifestos and conversations with these young gunmen? Uh, you do wonder why. Uh, you wonder uh, what was the atmosphere in the household. Uh, you wonder what was the atmosphere in that community. What were the influences that uh, this person was exposed to that uh, germinated that kind of hate uh, inside of them, that kind of heart full of hate, uh, that mind full of hate, that they would drive more than three hours away from their home into a community that they had probably never been to before with the stated express purpose of killing as many black people, as many other human beings as possible. Uh, it is just inconceivable uh, to think about what might have been those influences that developed uh, this kind of deranged individual. And we certainly can't make sense of hate. Uh, we only have 20 seconds left here. Is there anything that you would like to tell our viewers in terms of the kind of help that's being given to the victims' families right now? Uh, all kinds of grief counseling, uh, from different agencies in the community, uh, hospital systems in the community. Uh, Buffalo is known nationally and internationally as the city of good neighbors. We are a warm and welcoming community, but we are a strong community. Uh, we will grieve, we will heal, uh, and we will move forward as one people, one city, one Buffalo. Buffalo Mayor Byron Brown, thank you. Very, um, very even keeled um, Mayor Byron Brown. Uh, he makes you feel uh, at ease to hear him speak uh, reasonable. Uh, doesn't seem to have any other motivation behind what he said than just uh, helping out the community, having the community heal from this horrendous, horrendous uh, tragedy. You know, folks, I, I see um, this is police off the cuff, obviously, real crime stories. If you're not um, subscribed to us, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, uh, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three uh, different levels. And we also have channel members. Uh, you can be, you see the folks in the chat with the green font. They're part of the YouTube uh, Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories YouTube family. And you could su support us that way. We have five different levels. You know, this is a... Um, it's it's not a, a a story that you know, I don't know you, you that I get any 
joy out of reporting on. It's just, uh, it's a horrendous thing. It, and, um, you know, we, we hope and pray that these things never happen, but it seems like in this country, there's at least one active shooting a week, it seems like, or at least a couple of months. And it doesn't seem like it's um, doesn't seem like it's going to stop. I don't have the answers to it. Um, we in law enforcement, I think most of us support a level of gun control. You know, you hear people say um, reasonable gun control. Yeah, and everyone that word reasonable is a good word. You know, reasonable gun control. The problem is, is what, you know, people always want to push it too far. You have certain politicians want gun confiscation. That's never going to happen in this country. You know, we have the Second Amendment. No one is going to put up with the government taking their guns. They're just not going to do it. And, um, you know, it's that's when people from outside the United States, uh, Europeans, they don't understand our Second Amendment and the right to keep and bear arms. And they just simply say, oh, just confiscate the guns, I, you know. That's that's part of what um, America is, I guess, is the right to keep and bear arms. And whether you agree or, or disagree with that, uh, it's in the Constitution. And people are just not going to give up those rights because politicians tell them to, you know. Uh, but again, then when you see things like this, active shootings and hate crime and racial hatred, you you know you question the whole thing and it's um it's a horrendous situation and I, again i don't have all the answers um uh, schmitty uh question will the evaluation and its dismissal cancel out any mental health argument in the trial you know I, he's not going to get a, a, a mental health uh, there's no way he can get an insanity defense he did too many things that were premeditated, that he knew what he was doing, too many things that showed that he fully realized what he was doing. So he's never going to get a uh, mental health defense. Um, Kathy Hughes, I wonder if the parents were grateful he got the eval last year and then defeated when that didn't help. You know, I think that, you know, if, if I had a, a son, I have two sons, but if one of my sons had mental health issues to the point where I think he was a danger to himself and others, I would never allow guns anywhere near my house, you know, and, or near my son, if I could control that, you know, I just think it's, um, it's a horrendous situation. You know, Alicia B, our schools have reporting requirements, makes you wonder how many reports were filed on this kid when he was a juvenile. That's possible. That's possible. Uh, Tracy Jones, UK guns illegal, one mass shooting last decade. I'm just saying in my opinion. Uh, Tracy Jones, Europe is just a whole different mindset than than the United States. And um, as I said, it's in the Constitution. You have the right to keep and bear arms. And I don't have the exact language, but part of that is for the um, population to be able to be armed against the tyranny of their government, when you realize the Constitution was written by the forebearers, by the forefathers of this country, they were concerned with the British disarming them and, and taking over the country. So that was put into the Constitution, and that's something that Americans hold near and dear to their hearts, the Second Amendment. Has it, has it gone off the rails? Uh, has it 
too strict? Is it not strict enough? Those are some of the things. Uh, Bull and Bears, I don't know, Bill. A Bruce Cutler-type guy might get an insanity plea. What do you think? No, I don't think he's has anything close to insanity plea, this guy. I think they could even charge him federally so that he's eligible for the death penalty. This is a death penalty case. Look, a lot of people say when horrendous things happen in New York State, oh, is he eligible for the death penalty? No, because we don't have the death penalty in New York State. Years ago, we had it. I, it was, I guess it was taken off the books. I don't know exactly what year it was removed off the books, but New York used to uh, have the death penalty. No longer. Um, Tracy Jones, I respect your constitution. Thank you. That's that's kind. Uh, I think we we need to respect our constitution. Um, Girl Friday. Kathy Hughes, sometimes it's not the right evaluator either. Um, you know, the big thing that I said early on when I first started this show today was I think one of the most important things is to remember the victims in this massacre. And I think that's what I would dedicate this show to today is the victims. Uh, had just been at that mobile command center meeting with the folks who have been working this investigation all night. We know that last night there was a glow from the candle shining from the memorial for each of the victims who died. Police here and the FBI calling this mass shooting a racially motivated hate crime. The suspect strapping a GoPro to a tactical helmet he was wearing and live streaming the chilling moments from start to finish. From Conklin, New York, Peyton Gendron traveling nearly 300 miles here to Buffalo to shoot 13 people, killing 10 of them 11 of those people shot were black. Among those killed, former Buffalo police officer Aaron Alter, who worked as an armed security guard for Top Supermarket. He tried, in vain, to stop the gunman from shooting his customers. He worked over 20-something years as a Buffalo police officer and lost his life at Tops. Disgusting to me. We are broken. We are in mourning. We are torn apart. We are angry. We are numb. I've protected him his whole life from the ills of the world. And here we have a man, a terrorist, who came into my community, into our neighborhood. Investigators discovering an assault rifle on the suspect, a hunting rifle in his car, as well as a shotgun inside his car. All of them scrawled with messages of hate written <coughs> in white on the guns. We know the investigation continuing this morning. Again, police commissioner just showing up here at the scene about 15 minutes ago. So, folks, uh, you know, uh, bull and bears, I want to answer this question. I think it's a great question. Uh, uh, question, Bill, why don't more police officers voice concerns about gun laws, seeing that uh, police have the ultimate job of protecting and serving? Bull and Bears, thank you for asking this question. It's a very important question, and I'll tell you exactly why. Because there are gun laws on the books, and guess what? Our district attorney's office will not prosecute people. New York State has this, this divisive, horrendous bail reform law, and they are locking people up for guns and letting them go the same the next day. And then they get locked up again, and they're letting them go. So police are seeing this as like, what are we doing here? We're risking our lives, taking guns off the street, locking up people in possession of guns and shoot people, shooting people with guns. And the district attorney in their infinite wisdom 
are not prosecuting these people. And this is a whole, it's a whole political philosophy called decarceration, where they don't want to punish people. They don't want to put people in prison or in jails. So instead, they use this misinformed, ill-informed bail reform law where judges have no discretion except to let that person go on bail, on bail, free to commit a crime again the next day. And I hope I answered the question. That's why police officers, there's plenty of laws. They just will refuse to enforce them. Police do their job. They arrest people. And then the criminal, there's three components the criminal justice system, and I'll put on my professor hat right now, the police, corrections, and courts. If any one of those components of the criminal justice system does not do their job, then the whole entire system will break down. And the police can do their job, but if the courts don't do their job, i.e. the district attorney's office in all boroughs of New York City, they're all following this decarceral plan. They're not, there's no there's no punishment for low-level crimes. That's why you've seen stores be closed down by pettit larcenists, people that just steal with impunity and with no punishment. There was a, a CVS on 50th Street and 8th Avenue. They went out of business because they just couldn't deal with all of the larceny. And there was no teeth in the law, you know? It, there has to be punishment for crimes, whether low-level crimes or whether the upper level crimes, there must be punishment, you know. And if there's no punishment, if there's no teeth in the law, why would anyone obey the law? So, bull and bear. I hope I answered your question. And that is the Lieutenant's Benevolent Association. I wish I had the report in front of me right now. Um, the president of that organization has been following all the gun arrests in New York City for this year. You would be horrified to see the statistics of how many people were arrested and how many actually went to jail or to prison. Just totally outrageous. And what does that do? It puts the police in double, double danger because now the same guy they arrested for the gun, he's not going to jail or prison. He's going to be back out. So guess what? He's going to carry a gun again and he's not going to be afraid to use it. So it's, it's police are hitting their head against the wall, trying to enforce the law when what other components I said there were? Corrections and courts. Corrections, they're not going, uh, they're not going to jail, they're not going to prison. Courts, the district attorney's office, the judges. What are they doing? How do they bail someone with a gun, with a gun arrest? New York City used to have, oh, they said they had the toughest gun laws. Uh it was a mandatory year if you got caught with an illegal firearm. Um, Kathy Hughes, that's also why people don't say anything. Payback could get them killed. Uh, you know, guys, um, Lieutenant Peter Pranzo reopened the prisons and mental wards, returned to mandatory sentences. I agree, Lieutenant Pete. Um, it's called uh, sanctions. There has to be sanctions. Uh, it's um, There has to be punishment a crime. If there's no punishment, then why would someone comply with the law? Uh, it's, you know, there's there's general and there's specific uh, deterrence, it's called. General and specific deterrence. If you commit a horrendous crime, 
then your deterrence has to be very specific to the level of the crime that you committed. General deterrence is when people see that there's a price to pay for committing crime. And then that, it's almost like the social contract. People basically live a righteous life because they know that following the law will allow you to live a much better life than not following the law. You know, you won't be punished. Uh, you follow the rules of of the road. You follow the rules of traffic. You follow the rules of society, the mores, all of that stuff. I don't want to get into a big lecture on it. but And the people that don't, don't have as good a life as those that do. And that's called the social contract, you know, doing what you're supposed to do living basically a righteous life uh uh girl friday that's how it used to be bill i wish it would be back look there's good people there's mostly good people out there let me put it that way um bulls and bears the only problem with mandatory minimum is your poor neighbor who likes to smoke a joint could get life in prison for well look uh, weed is basically legal now so that argument is is out the window there's no more uh marijuana is is uh decriminalized and in many places legalized so uh, i mean i wonder sometimes um i don't think anyone should go to jail for marijuana but i wonder how many people that are driving next to me are high as a kite driving their car you know i, I wonder about that and how how safe is that how safe is that to drive a car when you're um you're high as all hell on weed is it i don't know i i don't smoke weed um you know, I went to college once, that's all I'll say. But um uh Sherilyn Schaffner, we have to get a grip on mental health, especially now with the pandemic ending. Sherilyn, I totally agree with you. Mental health and you know, it, it, to get to people listen to this podcast from all over the world, but I always go back to New York City. And one of the big things in New York City, of course, is uh people, homeless people that living on the trains, living on the streets. Uh, and, you know, homelessness is is a euphemism. Most of it is caused by, and I know I'll be attacked by this, is um, mental illness, alcohol, and drug addiction. And there is a component of homelessness. And sometimes those three things lead to being homeless, right? So I'm not saying that's the only cause of homelessness, but it's those three things uh, are one of the big things. All right. It's one of the big things guys. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to go on the yet. I just, the second time I went on the yet today, the first thing I covered was that escaped prisoner from, uh, from Texas. Uh, thank you. Bulls and bears. Ha. Love you, Bill. Great. I, I love you too, buddy. Um, it's, it's, it is a tough thing to cover. And, um, it's, um, I just want to say, you know, if you're not subscribed to us, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, ring that bell, all of that stuff. Trying to um, build a real community here on Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. And telling these stories and putting your expertise in. And I like, I love to interact with the chat because I, I love to hear what you guys to say. And I just hope the chat can remain um, respectful. Um, it's... Um, Let me see. Paris Aliyah Lovey. Hi, why do you think there is so much discipline and punishment on black people than white people? Because blacks 
uh, go to jail all the time for years and years. But let's be honest, when white people commit crimes like this, they get a pat on the back. Oh, Paris, that that's not that's not always true. You know, there's certain I think there's certain um, crimes that are looked upon as more. You know, a guy wearing a suit and tie can steal millions of dollars, and and no one looks at that as like a threat to the community, although it is. And a guy wearing jeans and sneakers can snatch a purse and everyone views that as much more dangerous to the community than the guy and the, the purse may be worth maybe $25 in it. And the guy in the suit and tie on wall street may have stolen millions and he's seen as not a threat. I don't know if I have an answer to that question, but I think the more you also, the more times you get involved with the criminal justice system, the more likely it is that you will go to jail or go to prison. Uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question. I tried my best. Um, Bulls and bears, the only problem with mandatory minimum is your poor neighbor who likes to say, oh, I just read that. I thought you put a new comment up, bulls and bears. Um, Sherilyn, uh, the mental health, especially after this epidemic, yeah, um, it's it's a real problem, guys. You know, I, this country isn't hasn't been right since this this whole epidemic. It's just, I mean, when you think about things like a baby formula shortage, the United States of America, uh, how how did that happen? You know, how how do we have a a baby formula shortage? Nolene uh, Price. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. This possibly could have prevented if people say something when they see these individuals come up on other areas as he was threatening school, red flag. When he purchased guns, red flags. What would a teen want with those? But to commit murder? The gun shops should not sell without alerting law enforcement. They have a teen coming in, coming for certain types, though he doesn't show any criminal background, etc. It still should be a case for concern, a cause for concern. If that happened here, I'm sure he would be all over it. Yeah, look, I think you know he he showed he there was a red flag. He he had uh, he had threatened his school to shoot up his school. Um, you know, I it's it's just a horrendous thing. You know, I just always always want to uh, praise this individual here on the screen, and that's of course Aaron Salter Jr. 30-year veteran of the Buffalo Police Department. Rest in peace, my brother. Um, Risked his life. You know, um, the Marine Corps, I was not a Marine, but I admire a lot of guys, a lot of cops that were Marines. And uh, they always say, um, Semper Fi, which means always faithful. And and that applies to um, this officer. I don't know if he was a Marine, and, you know, if someone you, you say to someone that that was a Marine, you don't say you were a Marine. They're always a Marine. You know, they, they think that way. But I think you, we can steal that from the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, say always faithful because cops are. Cops are, you know, they put their, they put their lives in danger uh, despite that sometimes they're hated by the public. And... Uh, yeah, Jamie Pimentel, Semper Fi or Semper Fidelis, just meaning always faithful. And I think we can apply that to police too, because uh, whether the 
The public hates the police, loves the police. The police still respond. They're always the the uh, the bell rings, and and they're they're answering the bell every single time. One of my favorite posters came out of 9/11. It showed all these civilians running away from the towers, and it showed uh, the NYPD running toward it. And I think that's that says everything, you know. Bulls and bears, cops go to work every day not knowing how the outcome will be. That's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, M-Star Media, no one should die brutally. Life is precious. Hallelujah. Amen. Absolutely. Um, so, guys, I think that uh, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna start uh, giving my closing remarks. First, I'd just like to put the, uh, the photograph of, of uh, six of the of the 10 victims there who lost their lives, the names of all of them are on the screen right now. And of course, uh, of, of, of Aaron, Aaron Salter there, uh, the 30-year Buffalo Police Department veteran. Uh, we salute you. And the folks in Buffalo, we certainly mourn with you. And uh, we just hope that uh, the neighborhood can heal from this, the community can heal from this. And Buffalo is a strong community, and I believe that uh, the community will heal from it and get over this. It's going to take a while, but eventually they will. So, folks, that's uh, what do we got? LEOV. I tell you what, I'm in my 50s growing up in the 70s and 80s was great. We didn't hear about this hate. I worry about my 12-year-old son in this crazy world we live in today. My condolences. You know, Elio, I, you know, I think that the internet is pretty damaging. I really do. I think that people get lost in this false world. You know, you get people with their, we call the keyboard balls, we call it, you know, keyboard warriors, people that want to threaten people with their keyboard. You know, it's because it's like an anonymous place. And I think it's, it's damaging to kids. And I think that the world has changed a lot, not for the better, you know, uh, uh, Bulls and Bears, thank you. Have a nice night to you also. Tracy Jones, prayers. Milwaukee Civilian, thanks again for your respectful and eloquent co coverage. Thank you, Milwaukee Civilian. Jamie Pimentel, yes, it's a sick world. Uh, M-Star Media, I'm going to message you. Thanks for the stream. Take care. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, all you guys that uh, interact in a meaningful way, and I appreciate your comments. Uh, and I, I really respect what all you guys have to say. Anyway, folks, um, this has been Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. Uh, I, th I think I'm going to um, I think I'm going to sign off now and, and just say goodbye for the night because uh, this is the second, of course, the second show I did today, and uh, it's a little exhausting. So, folks, have a wonderful night. God bless and and, and stay safe. One episode, just ain't enough